Forcing Extreme, Volkswagen and its Diesel Problem. Welcome to the Mastering Embedded Systems Podcast, Episode 15. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Mastering Embedded Systems Podcast. I'm Georg Lohrer, and this is the podcast about realizing and managing your projects within the embedded systems realm. I tell you the know-how and teach you the ways to succeed and overcome your daily obstacles and problems in project work. Today's episode is about the diesel problem at Volkswagen, the related task forces, and my view onto this situation. As I entered the office this week Monday, one of my colleagues asked me, Georg, I haven't heard you talking about Volkswagen. I was somehow perplexed and he continued, there needs to be a lot of task forces ongoing and what we do propose to our customers, but needs some comment, doesn't it? This way or similar, we came into discussion about the topic and I ended up with the idea to spend an episode on this very interesting at least from the outside, or annoying or also painful situation of Volkswagen with its diesel cars. I'm a little bit biased at that point. First of all, I'm German, so Volkswagen German company. But that's not necessarily the point. But on the other side, I'm a true believer in diesel cars. So I just got my new BMW car. It's a diesel engine inside. So there might be some, some biasing. However, I also do not like cheating or also not defeating especially within embedded systems. I wanted to try some kind of a new format in this episode. This time it's not about giving you tools or hints or tips or tricks. It's more about giving some kind of an evaluation or also a statement. So providing you simply my opinion about the situation. Maybe we will come into discussion about that one finally afterwards. I wanted to talk a little bit about where are we? The second will be what actions have been done meanwhile, and in the third and last step, it will be my perspective of the situation. Okay, let's start. Where are we? First, technique. There are two different kind of, uh, in general, two different kind of combustion technologies in engines. First of all, there is the gasoline-based engines. We regularly have in their exhaust stream some kind of carbon monoxide, and it's regularly decreased to something less harmful using catalytic converters. But gasoline-based engines is now not our focus in that case. We are focusing on the diesel-based engines. We have two different main problems. We have on one side the diesel particle emission, that's the suit, and here we regularly have filter systems. We are working meanwhile quite fine. It's not like that 10 years ago, but we are quite fine. And and that's at moment the, the Volkswagen problem. We have the nitrogen oxides, the NOx. NOxs are quite painful for the environment and also for personal health if you are confronted with them all the time. And there are these, uh, these limited values which are allowed to be exhausted. This could be, for example, with the diesel-based engine, it could be achieved by using a chemical reduction, regularly done using urea solution and a catalyst to convert the urea to ammonia. 
The ammonia breaks the NOx into pure nitrogen, what's also in regular air available, and water. So that needs an extra system. The result is a natural environment, so it's fine. Here's one big problem. The urea solution must be ported with a tank, and the urea solution freezes at minus 11 degrees Celsius. That's 12 degrees Fahrenheit. That means if you are using such a diesel engine inside a northern country, you need a heating, an additional heating, where the rear solution is not frozen. Okay, now let's start into the history of the problem with Volkswagen. Regularly, as you might have also observed, um, the car manufacturers provide parameters about how many fuel needs to be used or is necessary to drive 100 kilometers. Regularly observe a quite big difference between what is officially corresponded to the customers and on the other side, what you can measure by yourself. I currently observe it with my new BMW car. It has something like, I think, five liters on diesel. And uh, it's uh, currently, I achieve something like 7.5. But maybe it's the starting phase already. It's a few hundred kilometers. So it might, might change after this, but I will have a close look at that. This difference uh, caused some, uh, some professors, well, two professors and two students, beginning to testing emissions from three vehicles under road conditions in early 2014. So it was a side effect from the regular measurement. We tried to measure the, the fuel usage. They have used a portable emission measurement system. Therefore, it was possible to collect real-world driving emission data for comparison with the laboratory testing. We have had the money to spend three car types. It was a Volkswagen Jetta, Volkswagen Passat and a BMW X5. The BMW X5 matched the US emission limits absolutely fine. So <laughs> from my personal perspective, it, it, that's a very good result. But the Jetta exceeded the US emission limits by a factor of 15 to 35. And the Passat exceeded the limit by a factor of 5 to 20. The guys, of course, assumed we have made a measurement error and uh, we prevented this kind of errors by doing this kind of tests in a very repetitive manner. We have done it several times and always run into the same results. Finally, the Environmental Protection Agency, that's the EPA in the United States, was informed and also the California's air pollution regulator was informed and these two instances then ordered Volkswagen to investigate and fix the problem and the company claimed that it had done so. What was in May 2014? Once again, the cars performed well in testing, but in real-world real performance, we still, still didn't match up. At that point, the EPA regulators really started grilling Volkswagen about the discrepancy, even threatening not to approve the company's 2016 line of clean diesel cars. That would result in a clear prevention of selling diesel cars at all in the United States. That finally cracked Volkswagen and we admitted the existence of these defeat services or defeat devices, which had been carefully hidden in the software code. If I look back something like 15 to 20 years, I think, at the very beginning of graphic processors, some of you might remember there were these big players at that time and we tried to cheat all these benchmarks to achieve a very good result in the testing. And I remember that there was code inside at some manufacturers 
the name I didn't remember, maybe we have already gone down already. The software detected when it's in some kind of a treadmill to do particular testing and when switched over using, using more effective software paths to do that particular test, I think this kind of defeating is nothing new in technology. And it's also not a particular Volkswagen problem belonging to these diesel engines. The EPA, for example, caught a number of truck manufacturers, including Caterpillar or Volvo, doing something similar back in 1998. We have programmed the diesel trucks to emit fewer pollutants in lab tests when we did on the road. The, part, the, the main part of the problem here is, like in the chip manufacturing, that the regulators usually test these vehicles under laboratory conditions placing them on giant treadmills and requiring that to do a series of maneuvers. Because this process is predictable, it's easier to game. You see, there is already the chance inside of the way how the testing is done to cheat intrinsically. It's quite easy to, to achieve that. If you, for example, are doing some kind of motor control software and you get as an input parameter the, the position of the gas pedal, in parallel, you got the steering wheel angle. And then you could simply compare these two together. So if you observe that there are regularly gas pedal uh, positions that indicating an increasing of the engine, but in parallel, you do not observe any kind of, uh, of angle disposition. There is no changes in the steering. When there is a good chance that you are on the testing place, that you are under laboratory conditions. So you could use that to simply use a different code path indicating different actions, whatever you want to do. So you can do that as, as, extraordinary, as extraordinary as you want, but finally it's simply detecting from the inside how the outside might look like. What does that mean for Volkswagen at the current position? Volkswagen is the biggest car seller in the world. However, it's not the most profitable. That's Toyota and others. And Volkswagen caught red-handed. We were midst inside with a full arm in the black cheat box. We have observed or we have calculated that this diesel problem affected at least 482,000 vehicles in the United States. Something like more than 11 millions worldwide, all having this type EA189 diesel engine inside. That has two two main severe results. First of all, the reputation of Volkswagen solid. It's really dropping down like hell. You have seen that in the, in the stock uh, rate. It has dropped in that dramatical manner. It's unbelievable. And there are voices saying that this action is no longer some kind of cheating. It's a crime. And therefore, there might be criminal prosecution. The Clean Air Act in United States allows a fine up to 37,500 US dollars per case. That could be 18 billions of US dollars for all these 482,000 cars. Only as a comparison, Volkswagen has made a total profit in 2014 of 12 billion US dollars. Okay, let's come to the actions. What have been done by Volkswagen? I'm no insider and I also do not have an insider on my hands. However, if you are following carefully the information or the news, you might imagine what's going on. 
the first action what Volkswagen has done after we have hesitated a small while was that the CEO uh, retreated. That was more or less a political act, but a clear announcement that someone new must take over the steering wheel. Then Volkswagen promised to stop selling of TDI vehicles. So these are the turbo diesel injection vehicles for uh, Volkswagen and Audi in United States for 2015 and 2016. And we announced there might be a recall or there needs to be a recall. I have already seen in the television that the US top executive of Volkswagen was already grilled in front of officials and has had to provide deeper inside information of what Volkswagen is planning to do. Therefore, I assume there are several task forces ongoing inside. Regularly in such cases, there is a marketing task force ongoing. To simply prevent whatever is possible that the reputation is not going down that dramatically. Then there might be a legal task force ongoing. We are already calculating and trying with the law of the land what could be done, what do we have expected worst and why, what might be the best thing that might come out. Then there might be a services issue task force. We are already planning if we would have a solution, how could we bring that to the customer? In combination with the marketing, of course, how could we hold our customers? There was some woman interviewed. She has just got her brand new Volkswagen and she is really disappointed and wants to give it back. Or on the other side, it's a very marvelous and good car. So she is hesitating and does not really know what to do. And there needs to be a clear guidance also by Volkswagen for marketing and the service. How could we continue with all the customers? And then, of course, there is the technical issue. If I assume it was unveiled in 2014 that there, are some, that there is a problem ongoing, at least at that point, I assume a task force has started. The problem was introduced somehow in 2007 by a machine or motor control software provided by Bosch. That's a big car supplier in, in Germany. We have provided this kind of software not without raising a red flag and telling Volkswagen, hey guys, that's only for testing purposes, only for your internal use, should not be delivered, don't use it. Volkswagen and some other car suppliers have not chosen the Aurea solution, as mentioned before, for reducing the NOx emissions of a diesel technology, but they have introduced their own technology. And now the big question, what was that difference? Currently, it looks like it might be possible that there was not even any kind of difference, but we simply have used the motors as it is available without any kind of reduction of NOx emissions. But that must be clarified. From that perspective, the task force has, or the task forces, have a very challenging job because there might not be any idea how to overcome this request for reduction of emissions. There might be the need to reduce the same way as the guys with the urea injection are doing that. And they might end up in the situation that they do not have any other chance when to use this hardware approach. Because using software might result in two different situations. Either you decrease the emissions and in parallel you decrease also the performance of the car. So you might end up with, uh, I don't know, only two-thirds of the power of the car finally if you if you catch all these limi uh, limitations of emissions. Or you, uh, you decrease the mileage. 
So you might end up with not that reduced amount of fuel you can expect if you are driving a diesel car. So you have to increase the amount of diesel, of the amount of, of fuel, and therefore the amount of money to make the same distance. And this is something that which, which would be also not really accepted by the customers. So we have two bad situations. You have a catch-22 situation, and uh, I, I don't know how we will end up, but I think there are burning hats inside of the task forces. There might be smoke over the, over the heads to find a solution how to do it. And now let's assume there is really some kind of hardware solution which is needed. So this urea injection, this is of course expensive on one side. You need every car in the garage. You cannot do it from remote whatsoever. You have dramatic costs for that. And uh, yeah, the question is that whether the reputation and the trust is still available afterwards. But what is clearly observable if you see the news and especially if there are with the if the guys, if the journalists are trying to make interviews with the with the workers at Volkswagen, where is it clear everybody shuts up twice to the workers? We have issued a gadging order. That's for sure. What are the actions outside of Volkswagen? There are tons of them ongoing. I only want to mention two of them. First of all, where it looks like this whole affair becomes a bushfire. It looks like everybody is jumping onto the same train to go into the same direction. Astonishingly, all the other car manufacturers are really, really silent at the moment. It looks like we are trying to hide themselves, not to be in front of that, and looking what's going on. It's really like a big thunderstorm over the whole car manufacturing industry. Second part is that there is already some kind of uh, Scottish and UK-wide task force called by ministers. It looks like we are trying to protect the public and give them full confidence in diesel tests. It looks like for me that there is uh, an official attention suddenly available. It's not only more something like only US-like issue, but it becomes a more general, more worldwide topic. That's what I also mean with the bushfire. Let's change to what's my perspective. I want to go back to the moment where it was introduced. How was it done? I assume as the news are indicating adapted software, cheating device, so that's leading to a valid code path and where I have read somewhere that it's only some kind of if-then statement. If you detect that you are in under library conditions, then use that and if not, then use that. And the first, the when, might be like, uh, yeah, when reduce the, uh, reduce the nitrogen oxide emissions, reduce soot and, and all that stuff. And the else path might be give full power, we need the performance. The decision, that's something what I'm really curious about. How was the decision made in that time? On one side, we have the statement by Bosch that not to use this kind of testing software into regular releases towards their car customers but there must have been a decision made by Volkswagen somewhere to nevertheless release it anyway. And this is a, a decision which has, which has been made and that lasted now not only for a few years or a few, a few months, but it's still a, available since 2007 or 2008. 
on a technical level to see who has introduced the change, that should be a piece of cake. Because if there is a version control system available, which is continuously maintained, you should be able to see who has switched the code, who has changed the code, who has committed that piece of code. And when you get the one who has done it, so finally on the lowest level has implemented it. And when you should know if you have a, a full org chart, you know, should know which department it was, which leader it was, and so on. I'm wondering whether some kind of imp impact assessment has been done and whether the judgment was be done correctly. So impact, reputation, costs, and so on. Most likely, we will never get the truth out of that here. So it's pure speculation and I don't know. What I know is that there is quite a severe trust and disbelief if you follow the interviews. I think the main goal of Volkswagen was during the last decade to become the biggest car manufacturer of the world. And now we are facing where Armageddon. Yeah? So it's who will believe that Volkswagen is honest from now on. This trust and disbelief is severe. And also the question is, who will believe whether the recall, if there will be one, and the actions which will be done there, will really resolve the problems? And also the question is, why should an easy recall resolve the problem at all? Especially when it's only done in software. But I assume that has already been withdrawn by the statement of the US executive that there needs to be a hardware solution too. But on the other side, focusing all this diesel problem now, there is also some hypocrisy inside, at least from my perspective. Who of all the car drivers who are driving cars for personal transportation do really take care for the environment? I mean, really take care, yeah? Who is really interested in the emission values? Or are you more or less only interested in how many persons you can transport, how fast it is, how comfortable the car is, um, whatsoever, how fast you can accelerate, how is the, and that's a typical German uh, topic, uh, what's the peak, what's the peak speed, and is it high enough, and all that stuff. Moreover, nobody has a real personal damage out of these higher emission values. As General Motors has used defect starter locks, 124 persons died. That's really a direct connection. If there is now a statistical calculation be done that there might be a statistical damage of persons due to nitrogen oxide, I don't want to say it's ridiculous, but it's something very, very far away. Unlike the ignition defect in General Motors vehicles that caused these 124 people dying, Volkswagen pollution is harder to link to any individual deaths. And now we are trying to do it with a statistical approach. And in my opinion, it's even more hypocrisy if we are now talking about 482,000 cars uh, with some nitrogen oxide problems. And on the other side, we are not talking about millions of cars with the gasoline problems. Especially in the United States, you have lots of cars using a quite big consumption of fuel. We are talking about, I don't know, something like 20 liters of on 100 kilometers. And this is a quite big consumption of fuel and therefore also a big emission of, uh, of oxides on carbon monoxide. And this is really a bad situation also. If Volkswagen, for example, goes down, and I don't hope so, um, by this um, homemade issue, it might be sold to some other car manufacturer. And here, 
Again, we might have a situation as we have already have had with the German car manufacturer Opel, which was finally, or who was finally, overtaken by General Motors. And then there might be a new consolidation of car manufacturers worldwide. So again, the question is, cui bono? Who benefits of the current situation? A few words about these emission limits. If you imagine emission limits are regularly raised by national law or by national officials to do what? I have two things in mind which are regularly treated by these emission limits. On one first, of course, the protection of the environment. That's first. But on the second part, it's also a basic intention to protect the national economies, to protect the national industries. So if there is a technology coming from outside of the national area, it's regularly, the limits are set quite higher when it is done for a technology which is nation, which is uh, originally based in the inside of the, of the nation. In Europe, these uh, quite lower, signif- uh, these quite lower diesel emission limits are not based on some kind of we are not willing to protect the environment, but they are also politically biased. And the same is in United States. Diesel has no tradition there, and therefore we, uh, the officials wanted to protect simply their national economies, and therefore the, ne- the diesel emission limits are wet high. That's of course no excuse for cheating. However, it, it, it has to be taken into the whole picture that there is also other intentions behind of emission limits. And therefore now complaining that somebody is violating the emission limits within a different scenario, it could be simply the same, uh, the same players in the game, but with a different, with an opposite position. And then it would simply look vice versa. And now... I also want to mention another aspect. This is some some kind of aspect I have really some bad uh, stomach pain here. It's the aspect of what kind of company culture and company self-understanding does accept such a fraud. Uh, don't let, let let me do not be misunderstood. Of course there might be some cheating or something else inside of business context. I don't like that, but sometimes it's done. I have observed it by myself. However, if that is done in such a big manner, like it is now done on Volkswagen's side, the question has to be raised, how could that be done? How could the self-understanding of the company, of the company goals and the company policy, accept such a way to go? This is really not understandable for me. It's, it's more like uh, simply saying, let's have five to be an equal number. It's also, if you hear that there was a quite significant... Now, let, let's say a red flag raised by, by Bosch and also by internal engineers of Volkswagen to not do that case or do, do not follow this track, then the question is how are engineers treated in that case that uh, there is, um, looks like there, there might have been a political decision be made. This whole scandal raises an incalculable damage to Germany's car manufacturing market. I'm hoping, I'm pressing thumbs here that we overcome these kind of problems within the next years, but we are talking already about years. I think it's nothing which is easily forgotten by someone. And all the other car manufacturers will have to suffer out of that situation. Let's come to some kind of conclusion. First of all, I have no clue how it will end up. The scenarios could not be more extreme than now. I have considered two extreme cases for the future that we might observe. In the best case, we will observe some fines for Volkswagen in the United States. Nothing substantial in Europe 
as no law is broken currently in Europe. There might be simply some restrictions or uh, um, emission limits which must be taken or must be uh, satisfied. And no damage compensation as no individual damage happened. That's, of course, a challenging situation in the United States. This kind of... uh, Damage compensation, how it is done in the United States, is not known in Europe. In Europe's law systems, you always need to have an individual damage, a real damage. And as mentioned before, it could not be estimated, or at least it can't be estimated, but not confirmed that someone who is dying has really died due to this nitro, uh, nitrogen oxide exhaustion. But that would be the best case. It would be some few years with Volkswagen going a little bit down and then coming up again with same strength. I don't know. But there might be also a worst case scenario in which the company comes down at all. Then, there are, for example, there are some voices I have heard in interviews that uh, we request Volkswagen owe them a new car. So things like that, the, uh, that the, the car could be simply replaced by a brand new car. Okay, one can say that's ridiculous because you have used it and you have no personal damage. On the other side, why not? I don't know. And it might be a law case, but the worst case will really look bad for Volkswagen. And I'm looking on jobs. There are more than 500,000 workers in Germany and worldwide for Volkswagen. This will be such an earthquake in the labor market. It will be really traumatic. And I don't lo- and I don't like the perspective how that will end up. And all that to cheat some emission limits for 482,000 cars. We are selling millions of cars and only doing that. That's unbelievable. And this is the point where I'm really set up. Yeah, there was no. I don't know whether there was a risk estimation, but if there was a risk estimation, then it was horribly wrong. You cannot run a, a defeating service or defeating defeating device in that manner and simply assume that it runs seven or eight years without any problems. Let's say it that way. I have observed a lot of time that software is trying to pretend that it is doing something potential or that it is something doing something other than it is intended to do. But to go away, looking straight into the face of someone else and lying to them, that has a different quality. Thus, uh, for me pers- personally, an out view on this, out of this situation, diesel technology, that might be the death crack. Yeah? So it, it might, I, I, I don't know, maybe it's really bad afterwards. But the technology itself is, is fine. Diesel is, is okay. But with that one, unbelievable. Huh? It might be also, and that's the, that might be the benefit in it. The problem here is that the software is closed. You don't know what we are doing. It's proprietary. You don't know what we are really doing inside of the software. Perhaps it's the same as you have for other systems with the software. What do you think about open source for car software? And I don't mean in infotainment, the Linux system, which is, which is underneath. Yeah, that's not what I meant. But really, the device technology. As the cars will become more and more smartphones with four wheels, as mentioned before, uh, the right now the software is protected under the 1998 Digital Millennium Copyright Act. It's illegal to fiddle with the software. So you can do it, you can open it, you could open it and provide it to the customers or to relevant persons to have a look at it. 
This kind of, um, of the Copyright Act, this protection makes it harder for independent researchers to scrutinize that code and identify problems. Who, who has not observed it with a brand new car or with one of the new technology cars, but, you, but the cars react somehow, someone suddenly weird in a way that you do that and do that and do that, and you find yourself in a code path which was, which was never tested and ends up in a non-deterministic way. And then you have to go outside or whatsoever, unclose the car, unlock the car, unlock the car or whatsoever. But it finally, yeah, find to itself again with all the 80 independent systems inside. What does the customer can expect? I assume at least there will be a recall, of course. Not only software, it From my perspective, it must be hardware too. But the question is whether the company will sustain with that and whether it's possible to do it with all the with all the fines and with all the other things which will, which will come up. And also the question is whether it must be done only for the United States or also for Europe too. And uh, I don't know whether there might be an avalanche of problems afterwards because of what, what about all the other car manufacturers in Europe, for example? What, are, what about their diesel technologies? All the ones who are not using the area technology what about them are we fine too or are we defeating too i don't know this is a big mess and a big dilemma here so there is no good out view for this situation and i'm sorry for that but it's the reality at least how i observe it and as you know the map is not a territory you might have a completely different opinion a completely different situation and that's what i'm interested in I would appreciate that we started the discussion about this topic with you guys. Are you, for example, personally affected like I am with the BMW diesel car here? Or do you have a Volkswagen with a diesel engine with exactly TDI technology? What's going on there? What do you expect from the company? Give me your feedback. Let me know your details. You find my contact information, as you already know, embeddedsuccess.com slash feedback or comment on the show notes here at embeddedsuccess.com slash episode 15. Now I've given you some of the know-how and some of the ways to gracefully handle your embedded systems projects. Okay, I have to admit, this time it was different. Please let me know your opinion about such a format as I have used now, so this kind of... Um, evaluation and statement and simply aphorisms and simply talking about thinking about a particular topic. Do you disagree with that or do you simply dislike this kind of approach? Let me know and let's improve together. I'm Georg Lohrer from the Mastering Embedded Systems podcast. Thank you for listening.